2 Kings chapter 9. Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Put your belt on your waist, take this vial of oil in your hand, and go to Ramoth Gilead. When you come there, find Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in, and make him rise up from among his brothers, and take him to an inner room. Then take the vial of oil and pour it on his head and say, Yahweh says, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and don't wait. So the young man, even the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he came, behold, the captains of the army were sitting. Then he said, I have a message for you, captain. Jehu said, To which of us all? He said, To you, O captain. He arose and went into the house. Then he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, I have anointed you king over the people of Yahweh, even over Israel. You must strike your master Ahab's house, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of Yahweh at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab everyone who urinates against a wall, both him who is shut up and him who is left at large in Israel. I will make Ahab's house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs will eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be no one to bury her. And then he opened the door and fled. When Jehu came out to the servants of his lord, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? He said to them, You know the man and how he talks. They said, That is a lie. Tell us now. He said, He said to me, Yahweh says, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then they hurried, and each man took his cloak and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now Joram was keeping Ramoth Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. Jehu said, If this is your thinking, then let no one escape and go out of the city to go to tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel. For Joram lay there. Ahaziah, king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. Now the watchman was standing on the tower in Jezreel, and he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. Joram said, Take a horseman and send to meet him and let him say, Is it peace? So one went on horseback to meet him and said, The king says, Is it peace? Jehu said, What do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. The watchman said, The messenger came to them, but he isn't coming back. Then he sent out a second on horseback, who came to them and said, The king says, Is it peace? Jehu answered, What do you have to do with peace? Fall in behind me. The watchman said, He came to them and isn't coming back. The driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Joram said, Get ready. They got his chariot ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu and found him on Naboth, the Jezreelite's land. When Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, What peace, so long as the prostitution of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft abound? Joram 
turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, This is treason, Ahaziah. Jehu drew his bow with his full strength and struck Joram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, Pick him up and throw him in the plot of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember how, when you and I rode together after Ahab his father, Yahweh laid this burden on him? Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth, and the blood of his son, says Yahweh, and I will repay you in this plot of ground, says Yahweh. Now therefore take and cast him onto the plot of ground, according to Yahweh's word. But when Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house. Jehu followed after him and said, Strike him also in the chariot. They struck him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Ibliam. He fled to Megiddo and died there. His servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in David's city. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah, began to reign over Judah. When Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. As Jehu entered into the gate, she said, Do you come in peace, Zimri, you murderer of your master? He lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked out at him. He said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. Then they trampled her underfoot. When he had come in, he ate and drank. And then he said, See now to this cursed woman, and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. They went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull, the feet, and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him. He said, this is Yahweh's word which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, The dogs will eat the flesh of Jezebel on the plot of Jezreel, and the body of Jezebel will be dung on the face of the field of Jezreel's land, so that they won't say, This is Jezebel. So way back in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah was at Mount Sinai, and the Lord gave him three jobs to do. The first job was to anoint a follower, Elisha which he did. The second job was to anoint Hazael, the king of Aram, that's Syria, which his son Elisha, the one he anointed, did that. And the third job was to anoint Jehu, the king of Israel, and the spiritual son of Elijah's spiritual son Elisha did that. So we've got this multi-generational thing going on here. Elijah had three jobs. He did one. His spiritual son Elisha did one. And Elisha's spiritual son did the last one. So, we've um, seen this very interesting thing here, like that at Peace, and this is our church, Peace, where we've realized that the Lord calls people to certain tasks and work, but they're generational tasks. So they're the type of thing that isn't just the job of one person, but it's the job of the church with them, or a group of people with them, and even the generation that comes after them continues it on. So some people said, oh, Elijah didn't do the things the Lord said for him to do. But no, he did, because these were tasks that weren't just given to him, but the people with him, and he arranged for the people with him to do those tasks. So he, he fulfilled all three tasks through his spiritual sons, Elisha, and the prophet that Elisha sent. We don't know the name of that person. So... Um, 
Jehu is the commander of the army of Israel, the northern nation, and Jehu is in Ramoth Gilead, which is over the other side of the Jordan, and the king of Israel is Joram or Jehoram, and he's been injured in the battle and he's gone back to the capital. He's in Jezreel, and so he's not there. And so this is the prophet's chance. <laughs> because if you think about it, if the prophet's going to go and anoint Jehu the king, and he's, you know, how are you going to get to this guy without the king knowing about it? But here's his chance. The king's not there. The king's gone back, but the army is in Ramoth Gilead, so he goes. And he anoints him, and then he bolts. <laughs> and Jehu becomes the, the anointed king of Israel. Now, when David was anointed king of Israel, way back with Samuel the prophet, um, he was anointed, but he was just told he was going to be the king. He didn't, in that moment, stand up and say, I am the king, and, and immediately you know, kill off Saul and his family. In fact, he was so careful not to touch the Lord's anointed. But, there's a few things worth saying about this. Ahab, or the family of Ahab, you know, Ahab's son Joram, that whole family is not the Lord's anointed. If you think about this whole side of Israel, how many of those kings were actually anointed to be king? Well, I don't think any of them were up to this one. I'm trying to remember if the very first one Jeroboam was. The first one Jeroboam was called by the Lord. You know, the Lord said, I'm going to give 10 of the tribes to you. So the first one kind of had an anointing on authority, but all the others didn't. And um, so first of all, Jehu doesn't strike the Lord's anointed because the king isn't the Lord's anointed for starters. But next of all, the Lord actually told him to strike the king's the king which was something the Lord did not tell David to do. So you can't compare the two situations. They're not the same. Later on, we find that Jehu, the house of Jehu in particular, so Jehu becomes the king, and then he has four more descendants that sit on the throne. So the house of Jehu, or the dynasty of Jehu, has five kings. Jehu, right down to the fifth, Zechariah. And this house of Jehu ends up doing some terrible, terrible things. But Jehu himself seems to be pretty okay more or less, but he wasn't totally pleasing to the Lord, so much so that the Lord calls him a king that did not follow after God's ways. There's not a single one of the kings in the northern nation that does things that the Lord wants. But some of them, like this king, do some of the things that the Lord wants, but they don't follow the Lord wholeheartedly. So there's a few that show moments where they have attention towards the Lord. Jehu is one of them. So Jehu rides in his chariot, and he's heading to Jezreel because he's going to get the king and kill him while he's still injured and sick. Now, if you remember when Ahab did the wrong thing with Naboth, the word of the Lord came and said that every male of your family, every male that's in Israel of your family is going to die. Now, it was a very clear word. Um, let me see if I can find, I think I have written down here, the exact wording. Here we go. No, that's not it. Okay, my apologies. Oh, yeah, here we go. The, the word of the Lord came from Elijah that God was going to cut off every last male of his in Israel. And the wording is important because Ahab has a daughter that marries into the southern nation of Judah and the southern nation of Judah's king has a son. So the southern nation now has got family that are related to Ahab. So there are males of Ahab's house in the southern nation, but they're not in Israel. So if you think of Israel as kind of like all of God's people, yes, yeah, sure, they're in Israel. But if you think of it as 
in the nation of Israel and north, there are males of Ahab's house that are in the south, they're not in Israel and they are not cut off. However, King Ahaziah, who is a descendant of Ahab's, he's actually traveled north to be with Joram or Jehoram. So he is, at this current moment of this chapter, a descendant of Ahab and he is in Israel. So you'd think, <laughs> maybe he didn't know the prophecy, but you would think if you knew this prophecy, you wouldn't go to Israel because it would be a dangerous place to be. I would say he either didn't know it or he wasn't, didn't take it seriously because he's in Israel and when Jehu comes, he kills both of the kings. He kills the king of Israel and he kills the king of Judah. He kills them both. And both of them are a male of the house of Ahab in Israel at that time. Right, sorry, my phone was ringing. I usually remember to turn it off. And so um, King Jehoram is dead and Jehu becomes the new king of Israel. And he becomes the 10th king of Israel and the first king of the fifth dynasty. So, so far we've had 10 kings and on average, every two kings there's a new dynasty. Terrible, terrible average. And in the south, there's the king dies as well and there's going to be a new king in the south and that king is not mentioned on my paper. We'll talk about him in the next chapter. So when the king of Judah died, Ahaziah, he managed to escape to a place called Megiddo which is 88 kilometers directly north of Jerusalem, or on Google Maps today, it's 129 kilometers by the current highways. So by a circuitous route, it's probably at least 100 kilometers. So they had to take the dead body of the King of Judah in a chariot for about 100 kilometers, which is a one to two days chariot ride. So that's just interesting, I think. As the chapter finishes, Jehu comes into the capital now there's Jezebel, and it says that she painted her eyes. Now, it depends on your translation. The Living Bible uses the word mascara. It says, why? Um, I think it used the word mascara. This version said that she painted her eyes. Different versions say she put on eyeshadow. So this is one of the few places in the Bible where women's beauty products get a mention. And um, so she paints her eyes, she looks out the window and she says, why have you come, why, you know, why have you come in peace? And then she calls him Zimri, you murderer. Now, why would she call him Zimri? It's, it's not his name. Now, um, the reason I think she called him Zimri, I looked it up and I only read two comments. Two, one commentator didn't mention it, the other commentator didn't mention it, and only one commentator that I, sorry, I listened to one commentator who didn't mention it, I read one commentator who didn't mention it, and one commentator suggested that it was just, you know, maybe it was an alternate name of his. But I'm gonna to suggest to you that she's giving him a nickname of one of the former kings of Israel. So there was a former king of Israel, and we've already covered him, Zimri. I think he was the fifth king of Israel. And Zimri was the king that only lasted seven days. You remember we talked about him? He was the king that killed the previous king and completely destroyed his family. And then he committed suicide in the palace, burning it down so that the next king after him, which was King Omri, had to build a whole new palace and actually moved the capital to Samaria. So that king, Zimri, I think Jezebel has, has using it as a kind of a nickname of, you know, you're no good, you're a lousy guy, just like Zimri. So that's why my hunch is that she's called him that. She's basically giving him a nickname. It's like sometimes in, in Australia, we call someone a name. It's not their name, 
but the name that you call them is a very derogatory. And so I think she's called him Zimri as a, as a derogatory term. And of course he says, you know, who's with me? Throw her out, they throw her out and she dies and she's trampled and she doesn't even get buried according to the word of Elijah the prophet. And um, I just thought that because mascara got mentioned in this chapter or the fact that she was painting her eyes, I would do a Bible search to see where else in the Bible was this mentioned. And believe it or not, there is a place. And it's found in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 30. It's a very sad little verse. And it talks about Jerusalem, and, and Jerusalem is personified as a woman. And it says uh, about Jerusalem, Why do you put on your beautiful clothing and your jewellery? And why do you brighten your eyes with mascara? It will do you no good. Your allies despise you. They will kill you. Isn't that a terrible passage? In fact, in some ways, it's just like the passage here with Jezebel. She puts on her makeup to make herself all look pretty, but it's, what's the point? She just gets killed. And the passage in Jeremiah is just the same. It's talking about Jerusalem. You know, why are you acting also like this? It's going to do you no good. What both Jerusalem and Jezebel needed to do was forget the external beauty, but turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord with a heart soft before him, a heart, the type of thing that pleases the Lord, something that's beautiful to him, the type of thing now that would have saved their lives and it's true for you and me. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive us that so often we have focused on external beauty, pleasing those around us, trying to look good to others. Lord, let our hearts be thoughtful of how you think of us. Let our hearts be turned to you. Lord, let your grace be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.